Hey guys, welcome back to Simply Kim. For those of you who are new, thank you for coming by and checking it out. And for those of you who have been here before, welcome back. Uh, if you are new or you did not hear the last episode, this is going to be a continuation in a series. I don't know how many episodes there's going to be. I guess we'll see how long uh, I talk for today. Um, but if you want to hear the beginning part, uh, go back and listen to the first episode and then come back. Also, a disclaimer, just like last week, I swear my dogs make no noise until I decide to record. And then suddenly it's, we've got chaos. So if you hear dog noises in the background, apologies, I've taken everyone's collars off and yeah, so <laughs> I'm not sure what else to do with them at this point. Uh, anyways, I saw something today and so this is just, I felt like this was very uh, pertinent statement and observation. Um, so I wanted to share it. And unfortunately, I cannot find the gentleman's name who said it. I am going to continue to try. I believe I saw him on TikTok. And it was an older gentleman who's a therapist. And I've seen him before, um, but I have not followed him yet. And so when you just put in therapist on TikTok, you get like <laughs> 8 million hits come up. So if I can find his name, I'm going to put it in the description box because I think... Um, I know he's on TikTok and Instagram. I don't know if he's on Facebook or not, but I think he's a great uh, person to follow if you are interested in mental health things. Um, but what he said was that he often gets asked about guilt and shame. And he said that, you know, the way to distinguish them is guilt is when you feel bad about something that you did or something that you said or a behavior that you exhibited. And he said, shame is something, is what happens when you always feel bad about yourself. Not what you did or how you did it, but about yourself. And he said that in all of his years, and he's clearly been doing this for a long time. He said he's worked with a lot of different, you know, mental health diagnose, diagnoses, diagnoses. Why is it so hard to say that word? Um, Anyways, and he said that of all of them, ADHD was the one where almost universally the people who were clinically diagnosed with it demonstrated shame and felt shame about themselves, uh, felt shameful about their lives, felt shameful about their appearance, felt shameful about their house, about their everything. And he said, there's no other diagnosis that leads people to feel shameful like ADHD does. And I thought that was super interesting. And so uh, I actually found a list of things. Um, when I was getting my diagnosis, I went to, they, they sent me to a psychiatrist to do the medication um, because I opted to go on medication when I got diagnosed and then they, uh, send you to a psychologist or an MFT or a licensed clinical therapist, um, to get, to do actual therapy, to kind of work on some of the skills that you are missing when you have ADHD. And, um, I found a partial list because 
I had emailed or they had emailed me like a packet of information that they had me felt like a, a new, new patient packet. There you go. I was like, what is it? What is that called? And, uh, so I did find that email and there was like a partial list, like a checklist of things on there. Like, do you experience this? Have you experienced this? Do you, does this happen? One of those kind of checklists. And so I was able to take that and compile it with just other things, uh, Additionally, that either I used to experience and don't as much anymore or that I still experience. And um, these were kind of the, I wouldn't say it's all of the things, but it is most of the things that led us to my ADHD diagnosis. So I want to read this list to you guys because, again, there's so many presentations of ADHD and I think that for a lot of women... Um, it, when you aren't diagnosed as a child, as you become older, it sort of morphs into a third kind of disorder because there's, there's typically, you know, we see one sort of behavior in girls with ADHD and one sort of behavior in boys with ADHD. Um, and a lot of times as boys grow up and age and mature, a lot of the symptoms sort of lessen for them. Uh, it just, you know, I mean, it doesn't always, but a lot of times they do show a lessening of symptoms. Women, on the other hand, <laughs> thank you hormones and all the other things that go into being a woman, we actually tend to get worsening symptoms as time goes on. So um, here is my list in no particular order. And some of my, some of these things are negatives and some of these things are positives. So I'm going to just read the whole list and then I'll kind of talk about like what my perception of which ones are positive. Uh, but number one speaks very loudly and quickly. <laughs> well, I mean, you've heard me talk, so I think we all know that. Uh, thing two forgets to finish things. And these are not things like forgets to finish homework assignments. These are things like forgets to finish tasks like brushing teeth or swallowing medicine. So if you, <laughs> my dentist would probably die if they saw my actual toothbrush. I notoriously will be brushing my teeth and I have an electric toothbrush. I know it's not eco-friendly. I do the best I can. Um, but it has, you know, it goes for like two minutes and it like has the little buzz every 30 seconds. So you'll switch side or, you know, so you'll switch like parts of your mouth. I am, I'm not exaggerating when I say I frequently have to push, like restart it at least two times because as I'm brushing my teeth, I will see something that I need to do and it requires one or both hands. And so the vibe, like the toothbrush is in my mouth, still going and I'm walking around picking up laundry or, you know, filling up a dog water dish or whatever. And then suddenly it vibrates and I'm like, oh, I'm brushing my teeth. How do you forget you're brushing your teeth with an electric toothbrush in your mouth? We will never know. But I do all the time. Uh, also, I will put pills in my mouth and I will, it's almost like I forget to drink water or, you know, take a drink of something like, so the pills just sit in my mouth and then I'll be like, oh, they're dissolving. That's gross. Um, I have to use the, 
third thing is I have to use my GPS always or I will get lost. Um, I, so during quarantine, pretty much the one place that we, we being the dogs and I have gone with any regularity is to our friend Megan's house. And to get to Megan's house, it's basically like get out of the neighborhood, (laughs) make a left onto one street, make a left onto a second street, make a right, and then go through her little two side streets and I'm at her house. It is not complicated. (laughs) I have to turn the GPS on. Not as much when I'm going there anymore because most of the time when I'm driving there, it's like daylight out. But if I leave there at night, I have to turn on my GPS or who knows, who knows where I'll end up. And actually a couple weeks ago, I had two incidents within the same week where I went somewhere that I don't normally go, but I, I am familiar with the area. I just don't go there. I would, I would say I go there a couple times a month, both times I somehow got on the wrong 15 or the wrong 215. If you've been in Vegas, you know how that, how that happens. And I have literally ended up at T-Mobile Arena both times. I don't know if I subconsciously really want to go to T-Mobile Arena. (laughs) Like, because that's where a lot of concerts are and where the Golden Knights play. I don't know if it's what I, like, my heart is just dreaming of going there. Or that's just coincidentally when I figure out that I have literally not been paying attention. Um, Difficulty maintaining friendships. And I talked about this in the first episode. So... I'm not going to go back into that, but it has definitely always been sort of, um, a struggle. Okay. The next one, organizational stuff. <laughs> I just finished the first part of a pantry reorganization and the only way that it works for me to organize things is to get the containers or the materials that I'm going to use to organize and immediately organize. If those things sit in my house for longer than 10 hours, it's not happening. It's not happening. So like the containers I got to put food and stuff in, in the pantry, I got the box. I opened the box. I put them in the dishwasher. I ran it right then. I took them out. I hand dried them with a towel and I filled them up because if that doesn't happen, I don't know, six to 12 months down the road, I'm going to find a box and be like, what's in this box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Uh, if you know, you know. And so that's, and in general, I feel like that is a common theme for me is if I don't, if it doesn't happen right this second, it's not happening. If I Not because I don't want it to. It's just not happening. Um, okay, this one is actually one of the one of my super strengths. <laughs> and it is I can I can start a story now. And you can be like, "Oh, hold on. I got to run and do this. I'll call you back." And then you can call me back in 10 minutes, in 6 hours, in 3 months. And I can start the story at the exact same like the exact same breath in the, like where I had taken a pause that I was at when I was telling the story. We, it's, it's, it's insane. I mean, people are always like, wow, she literally does not miss. I, I never 
I never don't remember where I was in the story. Um, it's super bizarre. And yet, a lot of days, I'm like, what did, what did I have for breakfast? Where did I put my car keys? Where did I put my car? Where did I put my phone? But ask me, you know, where I am, where I left off on a story six months ago and I have the answer. Uh, the next thing, I don't know what number this is. I'm giving up on numbers. I am exceedingly clumsy. <laughs> exceedingly. Which is always been a super weird dichotomy in my world because I am exceedingly clumsy. However, I have an associate's degree in dance. I played softball and was a pretty good pitcher. <laughs> um, I physically, if I am doing things, the clumsiness tends to get better. But in the last month, I have broken a mason jar, a full jar of salsa, a full jar of one of the super hot spicy sauces, um, sambal something that is very red and oily and not at all easy to get off like to get up um I constantly trip slip fall uh roll my ankle land on my foot incorrectly like walking on flat ground um I the number of times that I have fallen downstairs or escalators in major, like in public areas with large numbers of people is it borders on a comedy routine. Um, we, it's, it's like, you know, a couple weeks ago when the thing happened with the salsa, <laughs> it was in my hand and then it was on the floor. There, nothing in between. There was no like, I, I didn't have to take any steps. I didn't, I mean, the counter is right next to the refrigerator. So it was, it, it was like maybe a pivot at best. There, no steps. Uh, it's just, it's really, it's really something special to see just how clumsy I really am. Um, the next thing. And we've actually talked about this before. Uh, I do not remember details of movies and TV shows until I remember the details of the movies and TV shows. And then I know every minute microscopic detail. So what happens is when I watch a show or a movie, I watch it and I finish it and I say, wow, that was really good. So an example, I watched The Office. Uh, at the beginning of quarantine because I had never watched it. And I finished it and I was like, okay, that was good. It was better than I anticipated. I really liked the finale of the show. It's not one of my favorites, but it was solid. Okay, I get it. I get why everybody you know, loves it. <laughs> About two days later, maybe three days, I was on Facebook or whatever and there was a post about like, it was one of those most endearing scenes from TV shows or some nonsense like that. And one of the things they were talking about was Pam and Jim and the teapot. I know. I was like, I mean, I remember seeing a teapot once, but like, 
I literally did not remember it being that big of a deal. Um, they also mentioned like the fan conspiracy theory that uh, Toby is this grand strangler. And the first time I watched it, I was like, I, re- I feel like they mentioned it like once. So I rewatched it. I, I rewatched it up to the point where Michael left, where uh, Steve Carell left the show. Because after that, I was like, eh, it definitely doesn't. It was definitely better until then. <laughs> and I watched it and it was like watching a whole new show. And then I finished and I, I couldn't remember things that I could remember after the first time. So um, I tend to watch shows over and over and over and over and over if I like them. And part of it is because I like them and I know how, like what the story is and how they end and what's going to happen and who all the characters are. But also, I still get new things out of it. Like there will be times. So one of my shows that I kind of just turn on over and over and over again as a time filler is Grey's Anatomy. And what's funny about this is I'm not even that big of a fan of the show, but I keep watching it. I think I mentioned this in the last episode, but I watch it and um, even as many times as I've seen that, I'll be like, oh, that's where that person went. Because if you had asked me, I couldn't tell you what the hell happened to that character or where they went or what, like, I remember them being on the show and then they just ceased to exist. So um, it's, we, we've chatted about this in regards to Star Wars, but this is just, it is very difficult for my brain to um, remember the details. But then again, once I do, I know every word, every line, every pause, every costume, every character. So it's very odd. It's a very odd phenomenon. Um, another thing that a lot of people with ADHD struggle with is object permanence. Um, and obviously that's something you develop as a baby. You are aware that if you are not in your bedroom, that there is a bed in your bedroom. And if you go to work, you know that there's a bed in your bedroom. Okay. So that is not the kind of object permanence that uh, we are dealing with. The kind of object permanence that becomes difficult for people with ADHD is things that are in cabinets, things that are in drawers, people who are not near you. Um, And so you will open a drawer and be like, when I, I, this happened to me today, I opened up a drawer looking for scissors and there were not scissors in there cause they were not put back where they're supposed to be, but there was a little yellow screwdriver. I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know where that came from. I no idea. I have an electric screwdriver, like a, a like a drill screwdriver. So I don't think I would have bought it. I don't know. I don't know. Did it come with something? We may never know. Anyways, moving on. Um, So some other things that I actually had kind of lumped these all together as things that are like positives about my particular brand of ADHD. Um, The ability to gather information quickly. Like I should be a super sleuth. I really should. Um, And I've talked about this before in several different episodes, but just my ability to like put information together, world-class, top-notch. My ability to, (laughs) some people might not say that this is positive, but 
to maintain several conversations at once. Um, and this is particularly important at work because, uh, you know, when you work at a school, you'll often have like multiple email conversations, multiple phone messages going back and forth. And so I just can remember exactly where I am in every conversation. Um, I have an amazing ability to remember song lyrics. Amazing. It's, it's pretty, it's, it's crazy. Um, because, so some people with ADHD find themselves very narrowed in on certain things that they enjoy. I am, I have that with some things, but, um, I find more often than not that I, I I like everything. So like in music, there's not one genre of music I won't listen to. Now there are some genres where I'm like, I maybe like a song or two, but you know, it's just not my favorite. But, um, like there movies, music, um, pop culture knowledge. Like I just like to know stuff. So I have a very wide array of interests and knowledge which is very beneficial because as it's been explained to me, I could literally start a conversation with anybody, anytime, anywhere about anything. And that is a skill that benefits me greatly in my current line of work. Um, the next thing is, and, it, and again, I don't think this is universal, but I think it's very common. A lot of people with ADHD are super empathetic particularly towards animals, like empathetic to the point where it is actually painful for us. Like I can't watch Bambi or Fox and the Hound. Like I, I I get it. They're cartoons. Can't do it. When Mufasa dies, I literally sob. I mean, it's like, I can't, I can't watch that scene. Um, and then the last thing that I had on my list is just, there is an overall excitement by small things with people who have ADHD. A lot of times when there's a big thing, like a big event, a big present, a big prize, it's very overwhelming. <laughs> like you get something new and you're, you don't know what to do with it or how to use it. So there is an extra level of excitement by like small and simple things um, that I think, you know, with myself and the kids that I work with and my friends that I know who have a diagnosis, it's really quite entertaining. Cause it's like, <laughs> I could have given you all these things and I gave you a purple, purple clicky pin and you're like the happiest you've ever been. Yes. Because there's almost nothing on earth that will make me happier than like a sprinkle donut or a purple clicky pin. I mean, it's, it's, it's not complicated. It's pretty simple. Um, so that is my, that was the list that we used. And again, I wanted to kind of share my list with you guys. Know that if you are a person who also thinks you might have ADHD or, you know, you have a child with it, their list could look completely different than mine. <laughs> completely different. Uh, I do know people with ADHD. It's really interesting because I think when people, if you were to come into my space, like my house, my office at work, my car, you would never know that I had it. 
Um, because I have, uh, first of all, I just grew up with like two, both of my parents like things neat and tidy and organized. And, um, I did a major purge last year to get rid of a lot of stuff because it was stuff that I was like, I don't even know why I still have this, but it's just taking up space. And so for me, I keep clutter to a minimum. I keep things to a minimum because the more stuff I bring in, the more ADHD I look. Um, when I have a minimal amount of stuff, I'm actually really good at keeping things pretty much, you know, where they belong, how they belong. Um, so it's, a, it's really interesting because people are often like, oh, wow, your car's so clean. Well, that's because I, I, I don't keep anything in it. Because as soon as one thing goes in my trunk, it becomes the black hole of despair where things go to die. So when I moved, I actually emptied out my trunk. <laughs> and I was like, why do I have one sandal? One of a pair of sandals I haven't worn in like eight years. My guess, it was supposed to be in a Goodwill bag and it fell out. So then Goodwill got one sandal and they're probably like, who the hell gave us one sandal and what was the point? I don't know. It's life with Kim. Um, so... Uh, when I got diagnosed, I wanted to kind of just share my, how I got diagnosed story. Uh, I actually lived in Orange County. I was working my first job in the school district and I had like actual big girl insurance, which was very exciting. And it was through Kaiser. Um, and I mentioned this a little bit in the first episode, but Kaiser in Orange County, and I don't know if they still do, but at that point, they had an adult ADHD clinic. This was in 2007. So I went and they gave me some papers. We filled them out, brought them back. Uh, they called me in and they said, we'd like you to come in and meet with a doctor. I said, okay. So they scheduled it. So I went in and he said, yes, we're officially giving you a diagnosis of ADHD. And then came the medication question. So uh, I want to start this by saying, one, no, I am not a medical doctor. I am not an MD. I am not a PhD. I do have a master's. I do have 13 years of experience working in the field with kiddos who have ADHD. And I myself deal with it. So, the following opinions are mine personally, um, and I'm just sharing information. If you have additional questions, let me know in the co You can comment, message me, what, however you want to get a hold of me, and I'm happy to help get you more information. But my my experience with medication was was a great one. <laughs> I. When I started taking the medication, it did take about, I want to say four to six months to finally get on the right dose and the right uh, brand and everything. Um, but the, I remember distinctively the first day I was on any medication and there wasn't like a huge difference, but something felt different. And I, I think that the best way to put it is I finally had words to describe what had been wrong, in quotes, 
wrong with me for 29 years. I finally knew, like, we had a game plan. We had a, we had a strategy. We knew what we were going to do. And so even knowing that we had to adjust the prescriptions, I was like, it's still, it's still great. This is great. This is better than, you know, what, what was happening before. So when we finally got me to the right level of prescription, the, the ability to pick up a pen and a piece of paper and actually write a to-do list and then remember to look at the to-do list and then check things off of the to-do list and then at the end of the day, take the things that were not done and put them on the next day to be like at the top knowing that like things at the top of the list were most important and things at the bottom of the list could be moved over was life altering. I had never in all my years of elementary, middle, high school, college, which was a lot of years, I had never, ever, ever been able to successfully accomplish that task. I had never once made a list checked things off of it and move things from one day to the next didn't happen. And so having the ability physically, because I had the medication to actually help my brain physically work the way it's supposed to neurologically work the way it's supposed to. And then having worked with the therapist and been given strategies such as making a to-do list, crossing things off and then moving the things that weren't done to the next day, I just, that shame that I normally felt was gone. And it's a really odd feeling. So I try and explain to people how it feels to have ADHD. And so I'm going to take, I'm going to take a minute and do something I never do. (laughs) I am super accomplished. I have lots of degrees. I have 13 years of experience in a very difficult field to get into. I have lots of continuing education. I have a vast wealth of knowledge. I do things every day to improve the lives of kids and their families. And it is almost impossible for me to say all of those things because the Instead of those things, what my brain initially wants to say is, I can never seem to get through a bag of chips without them going stale because I don't remember to put them into the chip container. And then I don't remember to put a chip clip on top of them. So they just kind of sit open and then they go stale. And so I waste a lot of money and a lot of chips because I don't get them eaten. When in reality, (laughs) I really... I think that probably it'll be okay that you're a chronic chip waster. I mean, it's obviously something I'm working on, but that's what the brain, what an ADHD brain does is it takes every little bit of good about you as a person and it, it squashes it from coming out. Another thing that frequently happens with people with ADHD, um, and this is not exclusive to ADHD, but it's very common, is we, God, I can't remember the medical term for it. There's an actual term for this. 
but we will oh i'm so mad that i the word has just left my brain um we will have horrific thoughts that like things we would never want to have happen so <laughs> like when i think wow it's really like amazing it's amazing that I was able to get through all of these degree programs and I was able to get into this field and I've been able to, you know, become successful at it. And then my brain immediately goes, well, you could probably just quit your job and become a bartender or, well, yeah, but what if they fire you? Then what are you going to do? Like it immediately, I catastrophize, catastrophizing thoughts. There you go. I knew it would come back to me. Um, and that is something that drastically reduced when I was on medication. Uh, the theory is that because, the, because of the synaptic firing not happening at the rate it's supposed to, uh, the part of your brain that should prevent those thoughts from coming out uh, is not getting it's not firing quickly enough to actually trigger that part of your brain. So you're sort of just left with all of the terrible things that your brain wants to think and you can't filter them out. So it can be particularly difficult with kids because when you're not sure what's real and what's fake, um, you know, I know I've told this story before. I don't know if I told it last week. Yeah. See, can't remember. Uh, because I had finished the story. So if I had stopped in the middle, I would know exactly where we were. Um, when I was little, I used to, I told my mom that I didn't want to go on Pirates of the Caribbean because I was afraid that the pirates, that somebody was going to take the fake gun or the uh, fake bullets out of the pirates guns and they'd be able to shoot at us. <laughs> yeah. What? Um, so that having the ability to not have those thoughts racing through your brain all day, it's really, it makes a world of difference. And, you know, self-esteem is obviously affected in, you know, those of us with ADHD, because again, no matter what you do, your brain is always going to be like, yeah, but you lost that pair of shorts that you bought three months ago that you really liked. So how stupid are you that you couldn't like, you couldn't keep track of one pair of jean shorts? Like what's wrong with you? And that's kind of how you go through the whole day is with those kind of thoughts. So as far as treatments for ADHD, um, I mentioned this on my Instagram page a couple of weeks ago. There's, there was a doctor who was touting diet changes, and some other things. And I want to be very clear. I very much think that diet change can be helpful. I myself know when I have red food coloring, hang on to your hats and glasses, folks, because this here is going to be a bumpy ride. It, I become a mess with red food coloring. Uh, so I have to be just cautious of it. I mean, I still consume it, but I have to be leery of how much goes in because, whoo, boy. Um, I also find that 
when I quit eating dairy, I saw huge differences in everything, but I saw a lot of differences in, um, kind of, I went, how my mood, I get hangry very easily, I guess I would say. <laughs> There's people listening right now who are going to be laughing at that comment, but, um, I tend to get less hangry, less easy. And I think it's because, you know, I think I'm one of those people who does experience a lot of inflammation from dairy. And so I do find that when dairy creeps into my diet, uh, inadvertently, like if I go somewhere, I'll be like, I don't think that was actually non-dairy milk. Um, you know, sometimes in drinks you get it and you can't tell, or I've gotten burritos where I've asked for no cheese and it's been in there and I'm not going to throw it away. So I just eat it. And I have noticed a huge difference in like my ability to sort of regulate myself in general. Um, now I'm not saying that cutting out dairy or red dye is going to fix any problems. I wholeheartedly think that in order to make ADHD treatment effective, you have to come at it from multiple perspectives. You have to give the brain a chance to actually work properly. You have to, um, you have to reteach the person things that you never thought you had to teach them with all of the executive functioning skills that they're missing, missing, missing. You can't just expect that they're going to wake up, take a pill and be like, I'm cured. Not what happens. Uh, you know, taking, taking medication for ADHD gives you a better field to work with, with all of the other things. So I wholeheartedly endorse medication. I also wholeheartedly endorse many other things. Now I will say, as I mentioned before, for me, visualizations, not great. I'm not a good visualizer, but, um, I am currently back in therapy because I had not been in for several, for a long time. And I have found recently that a lot of the things that I had sort of gotten a grip on and gotten control of, I have sort of lost control of again. And I just was like, I'm sure it's a combination of this year and all of the chaos that this year has brought. Uh, and then also just the length of time it's been since I first worked with a therapist on all of these skills. Um, but I was like, I need to go back. So I feel like therapy is hugely important <laughs> for ADHD brains because we need somebody else to help us sort through information and process things because I, oh, it's so fascinating to me how there are so many people with an ADHD diagnosis who have such high IQs and can barely function in the world. Like it's all they can do to get two shoes that are the same on their feet and get out of a door. And it has nothing to do with IQ. It has nothing to do with intellect. It has nothing to do with parenting styles per se. Hold on. I'll get back to that. It has everything to do with 
being able to unpack some of what is in your brain. One of the best analogies I can come up with for what my brain is like is that meme that was like, my brain is like my computer right now, 17 open browser windows, uh, things are just buffering and there's music playing, but nobody knows where the hell it's coming from. That All the time, it's my brain. And people constantly say to me, wow, I'm really tired listening to you. And I'm like, you should be me. You should be me. That's, you should be me. Um, so going back to parenting styles, and I am not here to tell anybody how to parent, and I am not here to give any kind of advice on any sort of discipline or anything like that. Uh, that is another discussion. If you guys, if anybody is interested in hearing some of my professional opinions on some strategies that work really well for kids with ADHD, I'm happy to do another episode on that. Uh, just let me know. I don't want to, I will actually write it out so that it will be organized and I can give you guys kind of an outline. If you want that, if you don't, totally fine. No hard feelings. Um, I just don't want to do it if nobody cares. But um, I... The one thing I do want to implore of you, if you are listening to this because you are my friend or my family member or you have a family member in, you know, who has an ADHD diagnosis, is people with most mental health issues, but particularly ADHD, are so driven and so motivated by positive praise and not, not because of like, if they're doing something that you don't like, it is so much more beneficial for some, for an ADHD brain to hear, you know, I really like it. If when you're watching the TV, if you wait until if we're, when we're watching a TV show together, if you wait until commercials to talk, because I have a hard time hearing what they're saying. So it's easier for me to follow along if we only talk in the commercials or, you know, it, it really is easier for me when we make plans for us to, you know, meet at the time we actually say, or like, I really like when you meet at the time that we've agreed upon. Um, because you know, that way I know that I can plan my evening and I don't have to worry about it being 45 or 60 minutes behind schedule. Um, or, you know, kind of whatever the, the things are that the ADHD person is doing that you find particularly troublesome. But I also, part of the reason that I wanted to do this series is because I feel really lucky that despite having an, a, a, you know, a neuroatypical brain, that I have been able to do what I've been able to do in life. And um, I know so many people aren't that lucky. And I know so many people end up self-medicating or doing really un, un um, really negative behaviors. <laughs> uh, and so I'm grateful that that's, you know, really never been an issue for me. And so I feel like it's important for those of us 
that are ADHD to speak up and share our experiences because while there are definitely times that having ADHD has been kind of a bummer (laughs) or um, has made it extra difficult, there are also times when having ADHD has made, you know, like, I feel like it makes me who, you know, who I am. And I feel like I wouldn't be as outgoing and chatty and (laughs) boisterous and opinionated if I didn't have it. So there's, there's two sides of the coin. And, um, I know that there's, it's so frustrating. So what I think I'm going to leave you guys with for now is if you are experiencing this with a child in your life, uh, definitely know that there are resources to get help for them. Uh, it can be really frustrating because a lot of times school districts will say, well, if it's not impacting their grades right now, uh, go to a medical doctor, go to their primary care physician, write down a list like my list of things that you see that you think are not typical. It is okay to, it's okay to not be typical. It's okay to be neurodiverse. It's okay to be, you know, to not be like everyone else. But it's also imperative that while you're not being like everyone else, that you're able to acknowledge when you're not being like everyone else. Just so that you have that ability to say, the reason I'm like this is because I'm ADHD. I'm not weird. I'm not dumb. I'm not scatterbrained. I'm not a a slob. I'm not, you know, (laughs) I'm not rude. I'm not bossy. I, I'm ADHD, so my brain is processing things different than other people's. And it's important to give grace to everyone, but I think it's super important to give grace to people who are neurodiverse and not neurotypical. Because, you know, I, I just feel like the reason that I was drawn to the profession that I was drawn to is because I knew that I could help kids because I understand what it's like to have a totally different way of looking at work and schoolwork and in relationship with peers and how things happen in the world. And so I just felt like this was my opportunity to maybe help, you know, People help kids before they turn 29 and have to go through getting bachelor's degrees and, you know, going through high school and everything with no sort of um, safety net or no no sort of um, accommodations or modifications in place to help them. And so, you know, that was sort of the whole reason why I went into this field and why I feel really passionate about staying in elementary schools uh, is because I do feel like so often ADHD kids 
just get labeled as problematic behavior issues. And I think once we start looking at how can we help to get their brains to start processing information just a little bit more, a little bit more, uh, like a, like a neurotypical brain processes information. Um, I think we can make a huge difference just all around. So I'm going to end this episode here. Uh, like I said, I'm not really sure if I'm going to do another part to this. So I'm going to put it up. I'm going to tag people who I know were interested. And then if anybody wants to hear anything in particular, or if I missed anything that anybody had requested, message me, comment, whatever, um, and let me know. And I will do a third part. No problem. But I just, if, if we're all ready to move on to a different topic, we could do that too. So anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I'm so glad to be back talking to you guys. I really do miss it's weird. I miss talking into the void. <laughs> and so I hope you all are well. Um, stay sane somehow. Uh, stretch or take a walk or drink some wine or drink some apple juice. Whatever calms you down. Eat some chips. Come over to my house and eat some chips. I've got some chips that are going to go bad probably. So, uh, But anyways, I will talk to you guys soon. Take care. And that is all. Bye.